You could hear the groans every time he walked into a room. Oh, Lord, here he comes again, you could hear them saying. Oh, Jeremiah, oh, Buzzkill, oh, Debbie Downer himself, here he comes again to bum us all out. Yes, the man had a reputation. And let's face it, the man had earned his reputation. For by the time our story picks up, this man had been working as a prophet for over 15 years now. By this point, he had already served as a prophet under three different kings, and he'd boldly told each of them words that none of them wanted to hear. For you see, while other court prophets were given to prophesying puppy dogs and rainbows and ice cream, Jeremiah was often prophesying trial and tribulation. While other prophets were saying, peace, peace, Jeremiah was saying, you people say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Everyone wants to hear good news. Thus, no one wants to be a messenger of bad news. So most prophets were given to telling their kings things they wanted to hear. But not Jeremiah. No, Jeremiah was always willing to be the messenger of bad news. And so when Jeremiah entered a room, the people all collectively groaned. Oh, Lord, here he comes again, they said. Old Debbie Downer here to bum us all out. So there's a brief character sketch of Jeremiah. Now here's a brief sketch of the era that Jeremiah found himself living and working in. Assuming his vocation of prophet around the time of 615 BCE, Jeremiah is unique among the Old Testament prophets in that his career spanned the time just before and the time just as the Babylonian exile was beginning. Many prophesied long before, many prophesied at its end or long after, but Jeremiah was a prophet on the ground as it was happening. And so you see, to truly understand Jeremiah, both the person and the Old Testament book bearing his name, to truly understand Jeremiah, we must first understand that Jeremiah's entire career was focused on the threat of Babylon. And as well it should have been. For in the year 597 BCE, some 20 years or so into Jeremiah's prophetic career, Babylon, sure enough, seized power of Judah and began forcibly deporting a vast number of its inhabitants. And included in this first wave of deportations was the Judean king, Jeconiah, along with other royal officials, dignitaries, prominent citizens, and temple priests. It was, as you can imagine, an excruciating moment for the Judean nation-state. Its king had been deposed, 
half of its citizens forcibly removed, its economy and its infrastructure in a shambles, and no further clarity could be found regarding whether things would soon return to normal or whether the situation would worsen. It was just an extremely difficult time. Well, needless to say, the hope among the people was that they would soon return from exile. It's what everyone wanted. And so it was that numerous prophets, both at home in Judah still and those in Babylon in exile now, so it was that prophets in both places began to speak prophetic words that the people longed to hear. Rest assured that this will not last much longer, they proclaimed, for God will soon demolish Babylon and bring us home. It became a kind of groundswell prophetic chant. And that brings us to the present moment for our scripture passage today. In Jeremiah 28, the passage just preceding our passage for today, in Jeremiah 28 we see a bracing conflict between two prominent prophets, the smooth-tongued Hananiah and our old buddy, the salt-tossing Jeremiah. And the scene all begins with Hananiah strutting into the outer court of the temple where the people and the remaining priests are gathered, and we see him calling with his stentorian shout for attention, and he says, Hear ye, hear ye! I don't know if he really said that. I'm making that part of the story up, but it adds for the effect. The Lord has spoken to me, Hananiah says in this passage. The Lord has spoken to me, saying, quote, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, Within two years, I will bring back to this place all that Babylon stole, including our king and all other exiles in Babylon. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, it was the very thing the people wanted to hear. It's almost over. We need not worry any longer. We've been overreacting and now we can relax. Oh, it was exhilarating. But then in walks our boy Jeremiah and cue the groans. Oh, Lord. We can hear him whispering again. Here he comes. Always with the rain clouds. Always with the gloom and doom. And sure enough, Jeremiah walks up beside Hananiah and he nods at him and then he turns his attention to the gathered audience and shouts, May it be so! May it be so, for I'd love that as much as anyone. But the problem is, he says, that's not what's going to happen. At least not yet. No, the truth is, it's every bit as bad as we thought it is, he says. And so it's unfortunately not ending in two years. And so as comforting as Hananiah's words are, and therefore as much as we all want to hear them, they're simply untrue. So hear not, Hananiah, the exile is not almost at an end. We can, of course, only guess at the discomfort 
that suddenly filled the room. Everyone assembled could no doubt hear the sound of chirping crickets. For Jeremiah had just called Hananiah out in front of everyone. In 21st century lingo, he'd just been served. And so how would Hananiah respond? And which of them was right? Well, the story ends like this. Hananiah meets Jeremiah's gaze, reflects for a moment, then brushes him off with a dismissive smile. Oh, Jeremiah. He laughs condescendingly. You sure do know how to bring the party. And he turns to the crowd. He says, you see this? And he puts his hand on the wooden yoke that Jeremiah had been wearing the past year to symbolize the need for Judah to submit to the reality of their situation. You see this, he asks, putting his hand on the yoke. Here's what the Lord says about this. And then Hananiah rips the yoke from Jeremiah's neck and throws it on the ground where the yoke shatters into hundreds of little pieces. The Old Testament's really fascinating. Thus says the Lord, Hananiah concludes, this is how I will break the yoke of Babylon. And the people all cheered in glee for it is precisely what they wanted to hear. And according to the text, quote, at this point, the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Well, needless to say, Jeremiah was later proven right and Hananiah proven short-sighted and opportunistic. For the exile did not end in two years, not by a long shot. And so it was that Jeremiah, a few years later, sat down to write a letter to those still in exile in Babylon. And in that letter, our passage for today from Jeremiah chapter 29, in that letter, Jeremiah writes these words, Thus says the Lord, Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Encourage your children to marry and encourage their children to marry. Seek the welfare of the city you find yourself in, for in its welfare you will find your own. And yet again, we can easily imagine the dejection with which the exiled community received this counsel. For this was not what they wanted to hear. They wanted more Hananiah-like counsel. They wanted more false promises of immediate deliverance. Yet this was what they got. Because in the end, and here's what we have to understand about Jeremiah, in the end, Jeremiah was a pastor first. And Jeremiah believed it would be pastoral malpractice to traffic in false promises. Now make no mistake, Jeremiah wanted it all to end just as much as everyone else did. Make no mistake, Jeremiah was just as tempted as those other prophets to speak sugary sweet words of comfort. But alas, Jeremiah was a pastor first. 
And thus Jeremiah knew that the best way to care for the souls of his community was by telling them how to best conceive of their situation. And so he counseled them to settle into it for a while longer, to embrace it, to be challenged by it, to learn from it, to grow from it, build houses, he wrote to them, and live in them. And so they did, grudgingly, Resignedly, unwantedly, the exiled community planted themselves in Babylon, and soon they began to grow on account of it. They banded together as a community, and they began asking the question, what does it mean to be God's people somewhere other than home? How do we worship Yahweh, our God, somewhere other than our temple? How do we retain an identity as a worshiping community when we are separated from one another by 800 miles? The biblical scholar J.A. Sanders would later say of their experience, quote, the exile was the crucible of Israel's faith. In other words, it was not only the place of, but were also the governing conditions under which the Jewish faith was formed. For here's what happened because of that community's willingness to trust Jeremiah's counsel and plant themselves in Babylon. What happened was that their faith in God's commitment to their community grew and their awareness of God's love for all of humankind expanded And their sense of what it meant to be a community became sharpened. For in the exile, they were forced to remember their roots and to then interrogate that story to understand who they were being called to be now. They were forced to consider what it might mean to be Israel in a new time, under new circumstances, facing new challenges, all the while remaining true to the ethos that had informed their identity since the very beginning. They were forced to ask themselves, what can we learn in this foreign land? What elements of this unwanted situation could be beneficial for us as we move forward? What can we appropriate from this experience to better fulfill our mission as a community? They were forced to ask themselves all of these questions. And so they did. They asked themselves these questions and they wrestled with the answers that emerged. And then in the end, they grew on account. Because as we all know, the exile finally did come to an end. Close to 70 years after Babylon's first deportation to Judean citizens, Persia conquered Babylon, and under the edict of King Cyrus, the exiles in Babylon were permitted to return home. 
Yes, in the end, it was as Jeremiah had said all along it would be. That it wouldn't be forever, but that it would be much longer than any of them wanted it to be. Well, that was Jeremiah and Judah then. But so too is it for us today. We now find ourselves entering our seventh week of exile due to the COVID-19 situation. And like the exiled Israelites then, so too are we now pining to return home to our sanctuary. So too are we all anxious for words of relief. So too are we all eager to hear that the threat is over and that we can relinquish all concern. And unfortunately, just as in Jeremiah's day, so too do we have no shortage of Hananiah's in our own. No shortage of people who, in God's name, are quick to offer us words of comfort that are pleasing to the ear. We've been overreacting about all of this, they say. It's not really so bad at all, they say. We'll be back to our regular rhythms and routines in no time, they say. Well, like Jeremiah then, so too do I today desperately wish that this were true. But also like Jeremiah then, so too do I today think it would be pastoral malpractice for me to say that it were. Make no mistake, the day is no doubt coming when we will all return to this sanctuary that we hold so dear, to this church that we love so much. The day is no doubt coming when we will return to our regular rhythms and routines, to our daily lives and commitments. But unfortunately, today is not that day, nor will tomorrow be. And thus, to suggest otherwise is not only wrong, it is dangerous. And so pining to return home, though we are, we do well to hear afresh amid our own exile, Jeremiah's wise counsel to those exiles amid his. Let us build houses and dwell in them. And let us plant gardens and eat from them. In other words, let us, like them, grudgingly, resignedly, unwantedly plant ourselves here now in exile, trusting that in so doing, we will grow on account of it. For if you think about it, is this not already what we have been doing? Is this not already what we see happening? Like Israel then, so too are we now being stretched and being challenged and being expanded and growing on account of our exile. Like the Israelites then, we too are learning from the particular challenges of this foreign situation. We're becoming more conversant in 21st century technology. We're becoming keener in our understanding of how to minister to one another across great distances. 
of how to form community across hundreds of miles. Meanwhile, we're being challenged to become more aware of the needs of the particular community we find ourselves in. Like the Israelites then, we are being burdened to seek the welfare of our city, recognizing like them that in our city's welfare, so too will we find our own. In just six short weeks, we have formed groups who've sewn hundreds of protective masks to supply protection for local health care workers. And we have marshaled teams to provide showers and relief for those who are cut off from daily necessities. And we have formed cohorts to serve meals to those in our city who have insufficient access to food. And we have pooled resources to help those who are unable to leave their homes and who are in need of daily assistance. We have done all of this in six short weeks and so much more. And because of it, we are learning just how important it is that the ministry of Boulevard Baptist Church seek the welfare of our city, knowing that in our city's welfare, we will find our own. And through all of this, there is no doubt that because of it, we as a community are growing. Yes, one day we as Boulevard Baptist Church will look back on these challenging days of exile and we will realize that like Israel, we too were formed in the crucible of exile. Of that I have no doubt. But that day of looking backward is unfortunately not today. No, like Israel then, so too do we now have to continue to dwell in our houses just a little bit longer and continue to eat from our gardens and continue to plant ourselves in exile, trusting that we are slowly growing as we wait. And so while various Hananiahs around us will continue to make false promises, let us humbly seek the Lord of exile. For that is what the Israelites chose to do. They chose to trust Jeremiah and to humbly seek the Lord of exile, trusting that the exile would not be forever, but that it was still for today. In the end, their community grew tighter, stronger, empowered, enriched because of it. Dear friends, so too will we. Yes, so too will we. Because so too will we trust the words of hope that Jeremiah also offered those exiles. Yes, build houses and dwell in them, he wrote, for this isn't over yet. But one day it will be, he said. For real and dangerous though this remains now, he said, one day it will be over. We will not lose our community over this, he in effect said. 
For I know the plans I have for you, he went on, channeling the voice of God. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. These inspiring words, these familiar words, these words that we quote so often today, these words were originally addressed to the exiles, amid their exile, about their exile. And they were the bookend to those unwelcome words that started that letter, those words telling the exiles that their experience was not yet over. But I have not given up on this community, God was saying through Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Let us close by hearing these words afresh today, Boulevard Baptist Church. Words as true for us today as ever they were for Israel then. For I know the plans I have for you, Boulevard Baptist Church, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Let us trust that that future lies bright before us. And let us trust that that future is being formed for us right now forged right here in the crucible of exile. Amen.